are the confessions of American Christians recovering from American Christianity. This is The World We Make. Welcome to the world we made. This is Nathan Opperson, your humble and obedient host, joined by our good friend, Pastor Jacob Mensel. Today, we're concluding a discussion with Pastor Tim Bailey that we were having on raising children as they get to be older and we get into the teenage years. And we began with the number one piece of advice Tim had for fathers regarding teenage boys, which will not surprise anyone. And if it does, it shouldn't, which has to do with masturbation and pornography. Okay, let's talk about masturbation and pornography with teenage sons. Every man knows what it is to have the privatization of naked flesh. That's something my father wrote before he died that he never had to contend with. When he was growing up, you had to go down to a store somewhere and sneak in and sneak a look. And often, it was behind the counter, so he even had to tell somebody to give it to you. That's changed. Now, anywhere you are, on your smartphone, your computer, your screen, your television, you can look at pornography. If you want to destroy your home, don't think about pornography. And act as if your children aren't in danger. And lead your wife to believe that you have everything in hand you will destroy your home. Because 99% of our children are going to see naked flesh on their smartphone, on their computer, on the family's computer, and they're not going to know how to cope with that filthy sin that they looked. And if you don't bear that sin with them, and you don't perceive it, and you don't help them, I can't imagine a more fundamental betrayal of your calling as father. Now, what do you do? Well, The day will come when your son will come to you and tell you that he has looked at pornography and that he feels horrible about it. And the way I handled that is I had them go talk to an elder that I trusted. Now, why did I have them go to an elder instead of me? Well, this is a basic principle of raising children that is especially true of teenagers. There's abroad in the conservative church a movement called the family-centered church or the church-centered family or no, the family-centered church or family family friendly or family this family 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 and these people get on their high horse about how we should never separate our children from ourselves they can be in our adult sunday school class with us we shouldn't have children's church we shouldn't have nurseries we shouldn't have youth groups we shouldn't have mission trips we shouldn't have retreats we shouldn't have no 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 and what these guys really are are killjoys they're usually led by some high profile leader who flatters all the women in his movement that they're godly and that they're the first generation of a new breed of Christian family that's going to avoid all the errors of everyone that came before them. And the husband knows how important the children are to his wife, and so whatever she tells him is godliness, he goes along with. And so they become a part of a family-centered church. And what, what, what holds all these people together is they look at any influence outside of the home other than the sacraments and the preaching of the word and hymns as at best an interloper and at worst a toxin spiritually that will lead their kids to hell and i believe in hell that is such an awful thing because when we take when we baptize our children for those of us that are pedo baptists not credo baptists we baptize our children at the congregation promise baptismal vows the congregation promises to help raise these children in the nurture and admonition of the lord 
How on earth is that congregation going to help doing that if the mother is an aggressive protector of her children from any influence that isn't directly happening while she's there to observe it and make sure it's entirely the way she thinks it should be done. Now, I know that people that are like this listening to this will just be furious with me for saying this, but listen, I'm 64. I've seen this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I have no patience for people that deny that this is a problem. And it's especially a problem in family-centered churches. It's especially a problem in homes that have classical curriculum homeschooling, go to classical, any place where there has been a commitment to see a restoration of biblical commitments in the Christian marriage and home is going to make the opposite error of turning the family into an idol. And every mother naturally has her children, her idols. And we must not do this. And the best way to not do it is to make sure you're giving your children over to the people of the church to help you raise them. And so I would take my son to an elder and I'd tell the elder what my son had confessed. I'd introduce my son to the elder with the fact that I told the elder. And then I'd ask the elder to come up with a program and an accountability structure and prayer for my son. Now, why didn't I do it myself? Well, for two reasons. Number one, I have in my life had struggles with pornography. So part of it was that I was so desperately fearful that my son not suffer the consequences of my sin, generational sin. But that wasn't the main reason. The main reason was that I think there are some sins that are so difficult to talk about with your wife or with your father that somebody else should be our confessor and our healer. And I think pornography is such a sin for sons. I I would feel the same about pornography for daughters, that it shouldn't be their father and mother, although I think they should go to their father and mother first, because their father and mother are going to know who to, to introduce them to accountability with. And as far as the specifics of this, uh, you know, there are a lot of ways you can address it in terms of specifics. One of the things is don't let your son be in the shower a long time in the bathroom. Just very, very matter-of-factly, just tell your son, look, you're not allowed to be in the shower more than three or four minutes. You're done. No young boy should be in the shower for a long period of time, okay? Also, I would normally like the doors to be open on the rooms, and we had that policy in our house that the doors weren't shut except maybe when the, the kids were actually changing their clothes, but then they'd open them again. Another thing is our computers have almost without exception, been in the kitchen facing the middle of the room. Now that I'm older, I will sit on the sofa in the study and use a computer facing me, which means since the sofa's up against the wall, it will face the wall. But usually my wife is in the other room, and that's a good policy to have, that you don't have computer screens that are hidden. Now, what about software programs that are accountability? I don't remember ever not being able to get around that stuff as a... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Anybody that's halfway smart is going to be able to get around that. I mean, I'm in favor of using them, but I do think they give us a false sense of security. And the fact is, women may not know this about men, but without getting graphic about the whole thing, you would not believe what constitutes pornography to a man. <laughs> now, by that, I don't mean how awful it is. It's, it's all awful. What I mean is you wouldn't believe how minimal amount of flesh there needs to be for a man to be aroused. aroused.
And that was really the main thing that Tim wanted to say exclusively about sons. But the next piece of advice, while it applies to daughters too, and to children of all ages, applies especially to teenage sons. Right. I asked Tim how to raise sons to be men of God, and this is how he answered. I think this is true for all children, but I especially have seen, and I don't know to what degree it's God's mercy to me that's singular or to what degree it's predictable, but I have seen so many covenant children out of good homes apostatize, and I have been spared that horror with my children and those they married. And so I want to start by giving tribute to God that that's not because of anything that I did that was right. I could give you endless reasons why my children should have apostatized and should not be godly, okay? I'm not just saying that. It's true. But I want to I want to honor your question and 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 at least give you some thoughts on that subject. The first thing I would say is when God gives you a son, God gives you a malleable loving mimic. And that that son from the womb loves you. He, he heard you talking to his mother when he was in the womb. He knows your voice. And if you're adopted, don't let this cause you grief. God has given you a special gift that no natural born son has, which is that you have been chosen. And no one ever chooses the son that comes out of his wife's womb. So don't, no pity party, no victim, no bitterness, no but listen to me, we can't sacrifice the normal on the altar if the abnormal, and adoption is abnormal, and normally you come from your mother's womb who was impregnated by your father. And when you come out, it is your entire desire to love and to mimic your father. Jesus says that he, he was here to do the things that he saw his father do, the works of his father. And so be a good steward of that natural disposition of your son. Make sure that you love the things you want your son to love. If you love baseball, make sure that baseball doesn't supplant the worship of God's people and the fellowship on the Lord's Day. Go ahead and love baseball, but teach him the difference between your love of baseball and that of idolaters. If you love soccer, if you love hunting, if you love fishing, if you love woodworking, if you love writing, if you love reading, I don't care what you love you will not be able to keep your son from loving what you love. And if you love pornography, he will love pornography. And if you love cynicism, he'll love cynicism. And if you're faithless and unbelieving and sarcastic, he will be sarcastic. What you'll see in your life is that your son, just like Harry Chapin said, cat's in the cradle, your son will grow up to be just like you. And it will be humiliating because almost always that means in high school, you will no longer be able to hide your son's sins, and the elders and the older women of the church and their teachers and their youth workers will begin to see who you really are in your worst moments. And if you're a fool at that point, you will resent everybody at the church and go find another church and try to hide again. You'll never be able to hide. Your, your children are now adults, and they're going to live out loud the sins that they learned from you. And so be very careful about the sins you love, because they won't be hidden. If you are nasty to your wife, guess what? Your son will be nasty to his mother. I'll never forget the day that I was upstairs working at the desk, and I heard my son Joseph rude and disrespectful to his mother. I came out of that door and down those stairs, lickety-split. And I went up to him. He was in the door of the kitchen. There his mother was. And I said, Joseph, you are never to speak to your mother that way. And Joseph's looking at me like he's just seen a vampire. He knows how intense I am. Well, I, 
I, I had a moment self-awareness at that second. And as I had my face three inches from his and being as intimidating and firm as I could be, it all of a sudden occurred to me that he was just being me, that he had heard me speak to his mother that way. And that's why he was speaking that way. And so immediately I said to my son, Joseph, do you know why you spoke to your mother that way? And he's just so shocked and, and fearful at the confrontation I've just given him that he didn't say anything. I said, I'm going to tell you, you spoke that way to your mother because that's how I sometimes speak to your mother. Well, immediately his eyes were like, yep, yep, he realized I was right. And I said, now listen to me, it is never right for me to speak to your mother that way. But you may never speak to your mother that way. And this is one of these things that you have to be aware of when you have teenagers, is that you are going to at times say to them, do as I say, not as I do. And there's nothing wrong with that, so long as you acknowledge it to them. You can't allow your sin to paralyze you. And so you know what I went on immediately and said to him, as I said, now Joseph, how do we handle those two things? I said, here's how we're going to handle them. You are never, ever, 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 ever to speak disrespectfully to your mother. And when I do, you, from this point on, have the privilege of confronting me about it. And I will thank you for it, because I would like my son to help me grow in my respect for your mother. But when you do it, you must not do it when I do it. When I'm speaking disrespectfully, you do not have my permission to confront me right then. You must wait until there's a time that you can take me privately and rebuke me and correct me for what I've done, because that's respecting authority. And so your kids will live out your sins. Don't lose your temper with them. Recognize it. Recognize it. But generally, love God. Love his word. Now, one other thing. I know these are such obvious things, right? But one other thing. I'm speaking to men. You absolutely must suffer for Jesus. If you don't suffer for Jesus and your son is not able to see you suffer for Jesus, uh, I don't want to say this. But I think that there's a good chance your children won't grow up to love Jesus. Jesus has said that no servant is greater than his master, and if they hated him, they'll hate us too. And if you, Christian father, are managing to live your life in such a way that your relatives, your brothers-in-law, your sisters-in-law, your in-laws, your own parents, your own brothers and sisters, your boss, the people that you play soccer with, if you're living your life in such a way that you don't suffer for the name of Christ, I think it's entirely possible that your children will judge you as not loving Jesus and will judge you a hypocrite. I'm sorry, but I would, I would find great difficulty arguing with them. I know it's easier for a pastor to suffer for Jesus than somebody who's not a pastor. I know it's an easier for an elder than somebody that's not an officer or a deacon. But I don't think there's anybody that, especially today in America, should be able to escape suffering for Jesus. And nothing does more work in our children's hearts with God than them seeing us love God rather than this world. And I can say without hesitation that the period of my greatest suffering in various controversies as a pastor was always the period of the greatest intimacy and love and peaceableness in my home. 
It was this weird blessing that I saw God giving us. It was unbelievable. And I know when I say something like that, people are going to say, well, what, what do you, you want me to go out and pick at the abortuary? And, and my response is, well, yeah, that wouldn't be bad, you know. But come on, don't be hackneyed or uh, rigid or, or brittle or, or irritable or censorious in your response to me. I don't care where you suffer as long as you suffer. And I'm not really concerned that you go out and picket the abortuary. I think many godly people never do it. And nowadays, I rarely do it. But you know, as Christians, we live in something similar to Sodom and Gomorrah. And if we're managing to go through life without losing jobs and friends and money because of our love for Jesus, uh, I smell a rat. So I don't know if those things are helpful. Those are the things that immediately come to my mind about God we children. You know, one other thing, a lot of people make comments about pastor's kids, missionary kids, and maybe those comments aren't made so much anymore because we really don't have pastors and missionaries anymore. We just have entrepreneurs in a religious direction. But don't ever, 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 those of you who have some position of leadership, whether it's as a Christian school teacher or a co-op leader or a pastor, an elder, a Titus II woman, do not ever in any way hint at your desire for your children to avoid harming your position or your reputation. If you want to do the single most destructive thing you can do for your children, make anything that you teach them and call them to do for Christ a matter of public image, and you will have destroyed the souls of your children. Children have an unerring instinct for the genuine, the authentic. They know hypocrisy inside of you in an instant. If you ever teach them that you don't want them to shoot off a squirt gun in the lobby of the church, because what would people think of the pastor's son doing that? That's all it takes, and it's over. You're done. You're done. Because your son now knows that what really offended you wasn't that he was using a squirt gun in the foyer, but the fact that he was the pastor's son and using a squirt gun in the foyer. And so what really matters is the pastor and not the son. And the fact is, I had an, an usher come to me very somber, explaining to me that he had just taken a squirt gun from Joseph in the foyer of ECC, you know. And I just laughed. I said, good. You took it from him, right? Yeah, I took it from him. You know, it was clear he thought I should go and explain to my son that it was a terrible reflection on his father that he was using a squirt gun in the foyer when all God's people were assembled for worship. I just thought it was fun. You know, I, I like the fact that he was using a squirt gun in the foyer, and I like the fact that it got taken from him. And to me, everything was copacetic. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like about how that should go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> little yeah. boy being a little boy yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. somebody disciplining him. Yeah. Made was produced and executive produced by Nathan Oberson and Jacob Menzel. For more great content, go to warhornmedia.com or follow us on social media under at warhornmedia. Next week, we discuss probably the most difficult topic that we have this entire season, which is sexual abuse and how to prevent it. So be sure to come back next week.
Hey, everybody. If you enjoyed today's program, be sure to go to patreon.com forward slash out of our minds, where you can sign up to support out of our minds, which is the home for the writing of Tim Bailey and many others on our very own warhornmedia.com. It's also the home of this very podcast. Also, be sure to listen to me and Jake's other podcast, Sound of Sanity. Each week, Jake, myself, our beloved engineer, Ben, and the kooky denizens of Sanityville take you on a kaleidoscopic comedic journey through sex, family, church, culture, and pop culture. There's skits, songs, debates, and some good old-fashioned preaching, all designed to remind you that you, Christian, are the sane one. It's them that are crazy. It's a show that's come a long way from its humble beginnings. I really love it. Check it out. It drops every Tuesday on warhornmedia.com or wherever you get your podcasts.